we'll go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness, for your kindness towards us. Thank you for giving the gift of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen. Yes, Lord. Thank you for this season where we could just remember what he's done, what you've done in sending him over the next several weeks, and we could just bask in the glory of your goodness. Father in heaven, we just ask that you would open our eyes to see that. Help us to appreciate this season. We honor you and praise you. We just ask for your help this morning. We ask that you would speak your word and that we would hear it. I ask for your help. Because who's sufficient for these things? Not me. But you've counted us worthy. We praise you and honor you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to keep walking through Ephesians. We uh, finished with chapter 3 last week, so we're going to roll into chapter 4 this week, and we're going to try to cover a lot of ground. We're going to try to get through like verse 15 or 16, somewhere right around in there. So um, so we'll go ahead and we'll just go ahead and you know take it, take it piece by piece. Um, but yeah. So Ephesians 4.1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with, his, with which you are called. So have you ever, like, wanted to run away from something? Like, you know, this is the job, this is my task, this is something I'm supposed to do, but you know what? It's really not that fun. It's difficult. It's really hard. And I'd rather just run away. I'd rather just throw in the towel. Is that ever? Have you ever been in a place like that? I've been in places like that, whether it's a volunteer role or whether it's an employment or you know participating in something so there was a um there was a a couple they were having a hard time getting up to go to church one morning actually the wife was up and so she she said honey it's time to get up it's time to get up and go to and go to church and so she's trying to get her husband out of bed and the husband said i don't want to go and he pulled the covers over his head and the wife pulled the covers back and said but you have to go and he said give me three, i'm gonna give you three right three reasons why i'm not gonna go number one the people are cold. Number two, no one likes me. And number three, I just don't want to go. And so the wife responded and she said, well, I'm going to give you three reasons why you need to go. The <laughs> congregation is warm. Some people like you and you're the pastor. So you have to go. <laughs> that guy wanted to run away. Sometimes we want to run away and just throw in the towel. But as a Christian, God's given us a job. Amen. And you know what? That job is a whole lot harder than we could ever you know, do it is that is actually completely impossible for us to do in and of ourselves. If if we had a job description of things that you needed to go ahead and be able to do to be a Christian, you know, like this is the job description that that's that's laid out here. That you walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, and then we're going to read through the rest of it. We all would fail on every single one of those points. Jesus didn't hire you to be part of this team. Because you have what it takes. You don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes. But Jesus does have what it takes. And he has more than enough of what it takes. So much to help you and me and each one of us to do what it takes. To live up to our calling. So what is that calling? <clears throat> Verse 2. With all loneliness and gentleness. With long suffering. Bearing with one another in love. 
Wow. Okay, that's a lot right there. So we're gonna we're just gonna slow down a little bit. Loneliness. This is humbleness of mind. It involves evaluating ourselves as small because we are small compared to God. This is a fruit of the gospel. It's like I've seen myself compared to God, and compared to Him, I am so small and insignificant. I am just so thankful that He even notices me. That's loneliness of mind. Meekness. That comes from a mildness of disposition or gentleness of spirit, right? So <clears throat> just a quick little short couple sentences. The meek person truly acknowledges themselves as a sinner among sinners. And this knowledge of their own sin teaches them to meekly endure the provocations of others and to not withdraw from the burdens their sins may impose, the, others, the burdens of the sins of other people may impose on them. The meek are those who, wholly relying on God, rather than on their own strength to defend them against injustice. This is the opposite of self-assertiveness and self-interest. It stems from trusting God's goodness and, and God's control over the situation. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, not of the human will. It's interesting with each one of these. So loneliness, we'll, we'll get into that. But each one of these is just so contrary to human nature. Long-suffering. So we've got loneliness, we've got meekness, we've got long-suffering. This is patience. A self-restraint of the mind before it gives room to action or passion. The person who has power to avenge himself yet refrains from the exercise of this power. So we've got loneliness, meekness, and long-suffering. Then we've got bearing with one another in love. This is to hold oneself up against or kind of like to put up with. Right? That's the bearing, you know, one with one bearing up, right? But the difference between doing this, the way the world does it, and the way God commands us to do it, is it's done in love, right? And so in love, how, how do we do that? Really, that's a, just a decision of the heart. It's a decision to choose to value people. For the, Christ, for the, for the non-Christian, impossible. Not, not even on the table. But for the Christian, it's just a decision. It's a decision that says, I choose to place value in you. And therefore, whatever our interactions are going to be like, they're going to be in love because I value you and I love you. So bearing with one another in love. So this is like a package deal. This isn't like a one piece, you know, choose this one but not the other three. No, they really all come together. Why? Because it's the Holy Spirit working all of them at the same time, right? And so they're opposite to human nature. Why? Because human nature wants to compare ourselves against others to get some sort of emotional edge or advantage over other people. It wants a superiority over others. It wants to position ourselves above others. And human nature doesn't like to just be equal. That's not good enough for human nature. Human nature wants to be, you know, above others. And so what all this stems from where our trust is. From where our trust is. If our trust is in ourself, you know, physical, like physical or emotional strength, our wealth, our intellect, our physical beauty, our manipulative abilities, and our ability to speak, or is our trust in the Lord? Trusting in the Lord to make things right. Giving him time to work it out in our lives and in others' lives. Giving them the grace to have time to work it out too. And so this, so the determination is based on the fear of the Lord. It's, it's to say, look, I, I fear the Lord, and I, so I am not going to take actions into my own hands. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to hold on to him. So Jesus was mistreated by the world around him. And this is what he said in John 15. He said to, the, to his disciples, Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. But if they have kept my word, they will also keep your word. So this is just a little application from that. If you're persecuted by someone, 
And that's someone also, if Jesus, if you were to take Jesus and pick him up and stand him right next to that person, they would persecute that that individual too. They would persecute that individual would persecute Jesus also. Because if they're they only persecute you if they persecuted Jesus. That's it. Period. That's the end of the story. If they're persecuting you, it's because they would they also have or would persecute Jesus. So that's kind of like a gauge to determine, you know, where people are at spiritually. You know, some people say, oh, I love the Lord, but then they come across as, you know, persecuting you. Well, guess what? They don't love the Lord. If they love the Lord, they would treat you like the Lord treats you, which is with honor and respect and dignity. Anyway, so so I have just a quick little story. We have a, um, uh, just like, like in terms of like being able to gauge where people are at with that. So I went out to see, so some of you, I think, have known about our brother David. He's, you know, a brother of the church. He's in, he's in jail right now. Um, but anyway, so we love David. So I went to go visit David, and um, it was interesting. So, you know, I show up, and I'm, like, in my Jesus T-shirt and Jesus sweatshirt and stuff, right? I'm like, you know what? Hey, I just want people to know, know what I'm about. I want, I want, you know, somebody to see Jesus through me. That's it. And so, so I walked in there with that. And it was interesting. So when I walked in, and check, you know, did the little check-in process. The guards were like, um, they were like, you know, short and curt, and um, you know, not will, not that willing to help. They just kind of like grunt and point at the form, and you know, can't you read the sign? And it was my first time there. I've never, you know, I looked around for all the signs. Actually, they didn't even have a sign unless you had, except for like in a little coffee can, right, right, you know, behind where the lines at, where you wouldn't normally look. So, anyway, so it was interesting. So it was like. You know, they're like doing this, you know, just like minor persecution of me, right? And then even when I left, you know, I like when I was walking out the door, I heard him, I heard him, you know, talking about that Jesus stuff, you know, or something like that, right? And so they were treating me exactly like they treat Jesus, just just, just like my model, just 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 like I just told you on how to gauge people. They were treating me just exactly how they treat Jesus. But then there was one guard when I when I when I walked into the you know the big room where I actually get to meet with David. And that guard, so I had to walk up and get my piece of paper right. And they said, my shirt said Jesus, or Team Jesus. And they said, uh, a woman guard, she said, Team Jesus, huh? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, all right. And it was like, bam, all of a sudden, you wouldn't be able to tell anything, you know, tattoos, all, like nothing screamed, you know, Jesus follower from her. But you know what? Like our spirit resonated. You know what I mean? The way she treats me is how she treats Jesus. She's a follower of God. Anyway, so that's, that's that's just a little, you know, that's that probably that's just helpful, you know, and like as you navigate through people, like through society, and you meet people and stuff to kind of find out where they're at with the Lord. And that doesn't mean that we're supposed to, you know, bounce away from all the people who maybe aren't kind to us, and so we gravitate to only the people who are. No, 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 because those people need to be reached too, and we need to be able to be near them also. But anyway, okay, and so if, and so it, so the question isn't if you're persecuted. The question is when you're persecuted. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you will be persecuted. We all will be persecuted if, if it hasn't happened already. So when you're persecuted, this is the thing. The meek cry out to God, saying, Lord, it hurts. Please do something about this. Do something to help me. Please protect me. Does that sound like kind of a, kind of a cop-out, kind of a wimpy thing to do? Kind of sound, Some people would say, you know what, that sounds like, that sounds like kind of a wimpy the wimpy thing. Maybe there's a lot of men that would say, you know, that's that's just a cop out. Come on, get tough here. Look, that's what David did in the Psalms. That's like what half the Psalms are about. 
And so, okay, is David a wimp? Well, let's, let's just talk about David for a minute. He was, he was king over one of the most powerful nations on earth. Pretty tough, huh? If you were to walk into his, to his court and not bow, they would probably beat you into submission until you did bow. That's, that's David, okay? And what, there was once when David was running for his life, and somebody was ridiculing and mocking him, Shimeon. And so David's captain of the guard, Abishai, said, um, why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Please let me go and take off his head. But the king said, what am I to do with you? So let him curse, because the Lord has said, curse David. Who then is going to say, why have you done so? So David, so basically David restrained his captain of the guard from going and just executing this man on the spot. Why? So David could humble himself. He could use that as humbling himself and entreat God's help. So David trusted God to rescue him. David had every right and every ability to go and take that guy's head off. But he trusted God to rescue him instead. So I'd like for you to go to Psalm 31 with me. <clears throat> so this is this is a psalm of David. And I just want to see I just want to show you a little bit like if you write in your Bible, I'd encourage you maybe to like circle or underline or something, the places where you see trust or hope in the Lord or something similar to that. Because that's what this psalm is really all about. So we're going to read verses 13 through 24. For I hear the slander of me. Oh, yeah, so let me think. I, I, just, I just wanted to mention one other thing here. So, um, well, that's okay. I'll, I'll get to that. Okay. So verse 13. For I hear the slander of many. This is King David writing. For I hear the slander of many and fears on every side. While they take counsel together against me, they scheme to take away my life. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times, my, you know, my days, the length of my life is in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Make your face shine upon your servants. Save me for your mercy's sake. Do not let me be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon you. Let the wicked be ashamed. Let them be silent in the grave. Let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak insolent things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. So this is like, trusting in God when maybe so much of the world or just the people around you are like watching you and you're standing for God right there. You're standing for righteousness. You're standing for Jesus and everybody's watching you with eyes on you waiting and hoping that you'll fall. That's trusting in the Lord in the presence of, of you know, the sons of men, the presence of other people. And then verse 20 and, and, and verse 19 is how great is your goodness for those who do that, O Lord. Verse 20 you shall hide them in the secret place of your presence, away from the plots of men. You shall keep them secretly in a pavilion or a shelter, away from the strife of tongues. So when all this stuff is going on, David's asking for God's protection, and God's giving David that protection. He's protecting him. He's keeping him safe, right? And then in verse 21, God acts. David's been crying out to him, and in verse 21, the action comes from God. And so David responds, he rejoices, Blessed be the Lord, for he has shown me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. Notice he went from this little secret place, which is like a shelter or kind of like a, um, a thicket, of, you know, just, just like a little thing to cover his head kind of. And it, it goes from there, all of a sudden he's in a strong city. This is, this is a big change right here because God has acted and he's no more running and hiding. But David's like in this strong city. 
Verse 22, for I said in my haste, I'm cut off from before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried out to you. Oh, love the Lord, all you his saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. That's not a bad pride, by the way. That, what, what that basically is, is like courage under fire, like standing strong when you're supposed to stand strong. And he fully, fully repays the proud person. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all of you who hope in the Lord. <clears throat> so that's just all about trusting in the Lord. That's King David teaching us how to trust in the Lord. But you know, when life hurts, because it can, life can just hurt so badly, then your heart just cries out for vengeance. And, but you see, the thing is, make no mistake, vengeance will happen. But the meek trust in the Lord for him to make things right. For him, for Romans 12, 19, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. So we don't take vengeance into our own hands. Vengeance is going to happen. Sometimes, you see, God pour out his vengeance on the person because of their actions. So I'll give you an example. At, at, uh, at my work, there's an individual that I have to work with sometimes. Um, he's at another site, but we have to like, you know, email back and forth and talk on the phone maybe once every couple months or something like that. And every single time he like ridicules me and mocks me. So I just think it's good for you to hear this because um, so, so you know, hey, I go, through this, I go through the same things. I'm not insulated from this. I get it at work too, you know? The things that, that happen to you at work, they happen to me at work too. So. Anyway, it's like every opportunity that he'd get, he'd you know insult me and ridicule me, like to other people, and and it was like, man, this just really hurt, you know. Um, and then I visited that person's site. So this is maybe kind of crescendoed about a year ago, and then I went and visited their site, um, you know, where they work about three months ago now, and you know this man who was you know kind of a strong, robust man, he was shriveled. He was like you know, emaciated. I was so, I was so, I was so sad. It's like God's been judging him. God, God's been doing things to, to show him what you're doing is not right. And he like, you know, kind of looked, he saw my Jesus wristband because I want to be a witness for Jesus, right? We don't rejoice when that happens. We pray for people, you know, and so they could come to the Lord so they wouldn't be inflicted with God's wrath. You never curse because we, we're not called to curse. We're called to be a blessing. Right. So we bless. We pray for their salvation. I appreciate it if you pray for that man. So sometimes we see, you know, God take out some of his vengeance on the person. And then sometimes you see God pour out his vengeance on himself, on Jesus Christ, for the actions of your enemies. So the person or situation that you thought was unchangeable, God steps in and redeems that person to himself. He gives them new life. He brings reconciliation and rest in relationship with you, but it wasn't for free. It still cost somebody their life for that person's sin, but that somebody was Jesus. And when this happens, we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory because Jesus suffered to redeem that person to himself, to save them from their sin, just like he saved us from our sin, and to bring them into his family, just like you and just like me. And so we rejoice because we have a new brother or a new sister. And all of heaven rejoices because God has a new son or a new daughter. And who doesn't rejoice with their family, aunts, uncles, cousins, brothers, whatever, sisters, have a new baby? Everybody rejoices 
When somebody's birthed spiritually, then all of heaven rejoices. God has a new child. And our spirits cry out and say, let the Lamb of God receive the reward for his suffering. Each person that comes to Jesus is a gift you know, to the family of God, is a reward for Jesus' suffering. And, and it's like our spirit just jumps with that. Let the Lamb of God receive the reward for his suffering. That just makes our spirit jump because that's the song that's going on in heaven. And it's like our spirit hears it and we're like, yeah, all right. Sometimes we don't recognize what it is, but that's that's our spirit jumping inside, you know, like wanting to take part in that, wanting to wanting to amen, you know. So go for it, amen. <clears throat> it's so it's by God's decision who He pours out wrath on and how that happens. Wrath will happen. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. One way or another. But for us, knowing the terror of the Lord, that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, we pray for other people amen. for their salvation and ask God's mercy upon them. And in verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So it's interesting. It's, he doesn't say to, to make unity. He doesn't say that. That's impossible. You can't really make unity. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. But after he does, our job is to keep it. So and so how do we how do we keep it? Well, he, by, by, by living the way that he's you know, showed us how to live, right? And, and, you know, it's possible to grieve the Holy Spirit and then he's, you know, often quiet in the corner and then we lose our connection with God. So we, we don't want to do that. So he's saying, walk worthy of the Lord and main, maintain this unity. In verse 4 through 6. <clears throat> and so what this is all about is, is about the unity. So he's, basically what he's saying is everybody's equal. Right? Um, much to have unity about. There's so much to have unity about. One, one, one. If you notice that, so in verses four through six, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. It's like saying same, 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 one, one, one. You're all part of the same family. Everybody's equal. Nobody's above another. Nobody's below another. Everybody's equal. There's unity in the family. But then in verses seven through 10, he shifts gears a little bit, and he says, everybody's, you know, everybody's equal. Everybody in the family, there's unity within the family, and everybody's equal, but you know what? Um, there's not uniformity. Everybody's different. Everybody's yeah. special. Everybody's equal, but everybody's also special. Everybody's different, um, and there's much to value each other for. So there's much to have unity about, but there's much to value each other for also. So the mark of a growing Christian, a couple marks of a growing Christian, um, is to recognize that I need others, right? If I think I can, like, get it all done on my own, then, you know, that doesn't recognize that there's anybody else who I really need. So the mark of a growing Christian is to say, actually, I need others. And so when Soiki and I were going through our church planning interview, um, you know, with, you know, anyway, with the, with the church conference, um, the first question that the, that the, you know, church planner, you know, lead asked me was, so, tell me a couple things that you can't do. And I was like, wow, that's a good question. Like, <laughs> you just kind of caught me off guard. I was expecting this to be more like a job interview. Like, you know, tell me about how you did, a, you know, a good job when, you know, given a, when you did a VBS or something. Or, you know, 
how you pulled a group of people together or something like that, right? But he just went the complete opposite direction and he said, tell me some stuff that you can't do. Tell me some stuff that you're not good at. Well, some things that I'm not good at is like being overly relational. And so that's where my wife comes into it. And so I need Soiki because she's more relational than I am. So anyway, so that's, that's just a little example. So we need each other. We need everybody Amen. else. We need each other. We need every other, like every person. Because we can't be successful. Even if we have everybody but not one, well, guess what? We can't succeed without that one. Everybody is valuable. Everybody is needed. Everybody is necessary. So because of that, we value, we accept, and we appreciate everybody. Okay, then. so we're going to go ahead and read through those. Okay, so verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, um, he ascended. Now that he ascended, what is it? But that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And so we're just going <clears> to... <throat> We're just going to pause there for a second. So what, so what are the gifts that, um, that we've been given? Eternal life, forgiveness of sins, and then spiritual empowerment. So everybody, has, everybody, everybody in the family has eternal life. Everybody has forgiveness of sins, and everybody has spiritual empowerment. And this captivity thing, so I'd like to just read this little note. Christ defeated sin and death by his resurrection, taking them captive and rendering them powerless, as would a king after a victory over his enemies. And so that's that's the led captivity captive part. And then he gave gifts gifts unto people, right? Eternal life, forgiveness of sins, and spiritual empowerment. And then and then it, it goes into that just a little bit. Verse eleven. And he gave some apostles and some prophets, and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth should no more be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of man and cutting craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, there we have it again, in love, right? Speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies according to the effective working of the measure of every part makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love <clears throat> and so and so the, the, the job of that those ministry we call them the fivefold ministry apostle prophet evangelist pastor teacher the job their job isn't to do isn't to do all the ministry that's that's not the job of those that group it's to prepare prepare you to do the ministry to prepare you to do the edifying of the body of Christ. So it's interesting, wherever you see, you know, church things going on, you also see the word edify there like all the time or almost every time because that's what church is about. It's supposed to edify and build people up because the world is good at tearing people down. The church is the place where we're supposed to get built up and so we could go ahead and go out into the world and be salt and be light. So anyway, so what needs to happen in church is to do ministry and to edify the body of Christ and that's not the pastor's job. That's your job. And, you know, the leadership's job is just to help you prepare for that, to help you learn how to do it, right? 
and to just oversee it and then to just watch it happen because it's really special when it does happen. And so, um, something I just wanted to mention here for verse 14, right? This whole thing about tossed to and fro and, and um, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of man and cunning craftiness. So it's like, how can you really tell? You know, there's so much um, information available out there. How can you really tell what's information from God and what's not, right? And so, you know, this teaching, you've got this teaching, you've got this teaching. How can you tell which one to really believe? And so the answer to that is the Holy Spirit and the anointing of the Holy Spirit will confirm things. Amen. And so if I've got to, like, you know, teach you something, you know, over and over and over and over, it's and like, you know, just squash it into, in, into people's minds, then it's probably because it's not coming from the Holy Spirit. When the, you know, something that's, that's truth, like I'll go ahead and teach something, for example, and then you'll go home and read your Bible and you'll be like, oh, wow, yeah, that's, that makes sense. You know, that's kind of what Dan talked about. You know, that's, that's what the sermon was on. That, that, and so the Holy Spirit will come in and he'll, and he'll fortify that word and he'll add to it. Um, but, but, you know, there's, there's other teaching where it's like, no, if you just listen long enough and hard enough, as I, you know, push this information into your head over and over and over. No, 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 that's not the Holy Spirit's teaching. So, so that's how you can kind of tell. You know, go ahead and listen, but then go, go to the scriptures and say, okay, God, either confirm this or confirm that it's junk one way or the other. And he will. Why? Because he loves you. He doesn't want you to be confused. And so that's part of it also. So as we grow up, then we stop being children, right? We, we grow up and then we're able to discern those things, you know, better. Like through that, just that little tool I just gave you. Go, go to the word of God and ask him to confirm it or, you know, to rebut it. And, and he'll do that. So then you'll be tossed around less and less, right? Okay. Because there's, there's always going to be cunning, crafty people out there trying to, try, trying to trick, you know, believers. Um, but anyway, so... It's just a little bit about that. And then, then another thing. Um, how can you tell good leadership? This is I just think this is maybe a good thing to go ahead and you know think about just a little bit. He gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers, right? So how can you tell what's good leadership and maybe what's bad leadership, right? Um, it can be so, you know, do we just look at earth just like regular metrics like, okay, how big is the church? And you know, how many books have you written? Those type of things. You know, how big is the crowd? How, how loud is, is the guy's personality? You know, or the woman's, per, you know, like those type of things? No, it's not about a personality. That's just the package. It's not about a boisterous personality or a quiet personality. We've got apostles like Peter, loud, really loud guy. We also have apostles like John who was meek and quiet and just, you know, loved to bask in Jesus' love for him, right? Is it about how big of a crowd they draw? No, because we've got Jonah that shows up Preaches, you know, a sermon that's a phrase long, and the whole city comes up, to, comes out to repent. And then we've got Jeremiah, that spends his whole lifetime and has no followers, has one follower at the end of his lifetime, Baruch. And so it's not about the crowd size; it's not about the personality type. That's just packaging. So some of the defining marks of good leadership um, is is the body growing in love. Like, are people learning how to love each other, how to value each other? You know, how to do all things in love, just like it says here, right? Are you being edified? Are you being built up at church? Or are you being torn down at church? That's, a, that's another one. So that, that, that's just a couple, a little, little something to think through there. Anyway, so our job is to prepare you to do the work of the ministry. And uh, so, it's, so it's really special when, 
when we do get to see people like going out and doing that. So the whole the whole body ministering to each other in love in verse 16. There it is again in love. The whole body ministering to each other in love. And so we're going to take just a quick look at Isaiah 35. I just want to give you a quick example. <clears throat> so Isaiah 35. So what does this ministry look like? It, it looks kind of like this. When you're able to come alongside someone who's going through difficulties and you see their value to God and you hold them up before God and you build them up spiritually and you encourage them just like it says. And then third, Psalm, or Isaiah 35 verses 1 through 4. I'm sorry, verses 4. We're going to start in verse 4. <clears throat> Actually, verse 3. Verse 3, strengthen the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. That's coming alongside somebody and holding them up. They're about ready to fall over, but you come along and you hold them up. That's ministry. And you confirm the feeble knees. You strengthen them. You give them hope. You show them what can happen. You, you, know, you strengthen them so they don't fall, so they don't give in, so they don't fail. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with the recompense, he will come and save you. And that's such a beautiful thing when you see that happen because then what? Then you see the power of God happen right after that. The eyes of the blind should be opened and the ears of the deaf should be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a deer and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. And the parched ground shall become a pool. The thirsty land will become springs of water. In the habitation of dragons where each lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes. And so it's like when you can come alongside somebody and minister to them and strengthen them and support them and you know just build them up and and get them, you know, get them to the to be ready to see God move in their lives, you know, to, to help them grow in faith and so that they have an expectation. You, you know, you need an expectation for God for God to move on your behalf. And so ministry is giving people to have that expectation to encourage them. And then God breaks in and you say, God will come. He will save you. He will act on your behalf because you're walking with him. You're hearing that from the Lord. And then when it happens, it's just such a beautiful thing. So there's a Lincoln Brewster song that I just like a lot. It's called Salvation is Here. So it says, because I know my God saved the day and I know his word never fails. And I know my God made a way for me. Salvation is here. That's what happens when the body ministers, when the body of Christ ministers to each other. And so it's just such a, just such a, such a beautiful thing, such a special thing, and that's what we want to see. We want to see more of that. You know, when you go through a trial or a difficulty, guess what? You're not the only one that's ever gone through it. You're not the only one who's ever going to go through it. But God's given you that experience, and so you could find somebody else who's going through that also, and so you could be their support, so you could build them up and strengthen them. So you could say, your God will come through. And so they can have an expectation. And then when God moves on their behalf, it's just such an awesome thing. So we're, we're preparing you to do the ministry and preparing, preparing you uh, to build you up. And so you can be the ones to build up the church. Everybody building up everybody else, just like it says there in Ephesians. But speaking the truth in love that you may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. That's to be like Christ, right? Okay. 
from whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by every by that which every joint supplies. Not, not some joints, not some people. It's not just some people have something to give. No, no, no. Uh, which every joint supplies. Everybody has something to offer and something to give. According to the effectual working, the effective working of the measure of every part makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So that's what that's what we're working for. So that's what I'm asking for you to be doing, for you to be looking for. How can you edify the body of Christ? How can you build people up in love? How can you, you know, use what God's given you to be a blessing to all the rest of us? Because we need every everybody. We're not whole if we're missing somebody or if somebody's, you know, sidelined because they feel like they can't contribute. We need you. We need everyone. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have made the body of Christ, which is your family, to be such a special place. People, even if they spent their entire life earnings, couldn't buy a membership in it. But you just invite people to come in for free. It costs you everything. And you just invite us to come in to trade our broken life for a full life that you offer. And then as you do, you make everyone equal. Not Not uniformity, but unity. Like a real unity of love through the Holy Spirit. You make everyone equal. And so everybody values each other. And you give everybody gifts that make each one special to show that we need each other and that without each other we fail. Thank you for the family of God. Yes, Lord. Where everybody's valuable, everybody's special, everybody's equal. We just ask for unity here. We ask for um, the blessing of the Holy Spirit to just encourage each one. We ask that you would um, just show each one of us how we can edify each other in love, and build up the body of Christ. Yes, Lord. We ask that you would just bless each one of our families. You would keep each one of us safe. We thank you for this Thanksgiving weekend. And um, we just offer you all of our thanksgiving for what you've done. Yes, Lord. Heavenly Father, keep us safe this day and this week. And uh, give us a really great Christmas Eve service also. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.